0: this is Phil Town, and this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning more and more about how to invest like Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, and other great investors. This is my daughter Danielle, who's—I
1: was going to say like my dad,
0: like me. This is really exciting. <laughs> I think it's really exciting that we're way down the road on this now. And if you've been listening to all these podcasts, you've gotten a pretty, pretty good education. So we're going to be fearlessly going in deeper today.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about owner earnings for a few episodes now, which is, for those of you coming to this brand new, I'll just quickly say, is a, a concept, equation, calculation? Calculation. Thank you. Um, from Warren Buffett, that my dad has simplified down for me and we put in our book, Invested. And it's in the book, it's straightforward in the book, there are examples in the book, and yet... It's still enough of a sort of question mark of a concept because Buffett put it out there, but he didn't really explain it, that we've been talking about it now for a few episodes. And I think it's getting it's getting clearer to me. So I'm glad we've been going through this. So
0: just a caveat for everybody is that almost certainly Warren and Charlie would say I'm wrong about the formula. Because if they could have made the formula any more specific than what they've already done, which is basically full of subjective requirements to hmm. determine things that are cash flow uh, for growth, cash flow for maintenance versus, you know, what's going through the cash flow statement, all of which is, you know, requires a lot deeper understanding of the accounting statements than probably you're going to have. So what we're going to do is we going to kind of... Yeah. <laughs> We're going to kind of just take a windage. This is going to be windage, but we're going to do it. Windage is like, okay, I'm going to just basically, you know, I'm going to fly my plane a little bit cocked into the wind here because it feels like it's coming from the left. So uh, it's a guess
1: about which way the wind is blowing based on an educated bit of information about standing in the wind, but maybe not scientifically exactly right.
0: Right. And it's really um. useful to do this because we're going to require um, a very large discount to the real value of the business when we when we price a business using owner earnings. It automatically creates a pretty huge discount to the, to the real value because, I mean, consider what we're basically saying is we're going to expect to buy companies and get a 10% cash flow yield, 10% in our pocket from um, the business operations that we could go and spend on growing the business or we could spend it on buying a nice car. So this, this is the equivalent of looking at a business like a piece of real estate that we own next door that we um, are renting out to somebody and how much money are we going to have left before uh, or after all of the expenses in the building. So that's what we're, we're trying to do. And the requirement to have a 10% yield, which is what a 10% return is, is another way of saying it, you're getting 10% on the dollars you spent for the business. So if you spent hundred thousand yeah. dollars for the house, you're a 10% yield means you're making 10,000 a year in your pocket before taxes.
1: Yes. And I have so many thoughts right now. I want to say why you're talking about that 10%, but I also want to say to everybody who's really about to turn off this podcast right now, cause they don't want to hear anything about financial statements or numbers or owner earnings. I'm with you guys. This stuff is not naturally The most exciting part of investing to me, probably to somebody else
0: it is. To me, I love it. It's so fun. Because now I'm getting tools. I've got tools now that allow me to compare different kinds of companies or companies in the same industry, say. So for example, just as an example, Danielle, I was trying to look at some Chinese companies, which I never look at uh, Mm -hmm. because I never think I can understand them fully. you know. But just playing around, companies that compete with Amazon. So I looked at Amazon mm-hmm. from an owner earnings perspective, right? It has, Amazon has, you know, whatever it is, an owner earnings of 20 billion or something. And then that would make Amazon a 10 cap at a 200 billion purchase price. And Amazon selling for a trillion dollars. So you can kind of see how deeply discounted this can do to a really popular company. And then mm-hmm. I compared that against a couple of Japanese, or, or a couple of Chinese companies, um and son of a gun they're cheaper by that account than amazon by a lot actually and so it it's and you couldn't get to a real valuation of these companies very easily one of them doesn't even make money never has made any earnings ever in its history but with hmm. an owner earnings point of view we can see that some of that is just artificial some of it is a result of how they're growing the business and so on Owner earnings is very powerful. It's not something you want to do and just all by itself. You want to look at the other ways of valuing a business that we talked about and invested. But it is powerful to get a kind of quick windage when you're looking at companies in the same industry, for sure.
1: It's so powerful. I agree. I mean, I'm a convert. I agree with you that dealing with the numbers and reading the financial statements and having the ability to use these three methods of pricing and evaluation make me feel safer. 100% because otherwise it's just all soft stuff. It's all subjective. It's all um, my own view on what I read online, essentially. And yeah. I trust my own view on what I read online. I think I'm good at evaluating companies because I've, I've got some perspective now after some time. But that doesn't mean that having that objective hard number where as you said you can compare companies in the same industry uh, isn't incredibly important. So, right. with that said, well with that said, I want to do What one. I wanted to say was that in order to make myself sit down and figure out owner earnings for Fiat Chrysler, which is what we promised to do for this podcast, I literally I had to go through like four or five false starts. I like sat down and I started doing something else on my computer and then I opened up Excel and then I thought, Oh God, I hate Excel so much. And then I walked away from my computer and then I thought, okay, I need to do something to make this more palatable. So I made myself a cup of tea and I climbed into bed, which is where I feel very cozy and comfortable. And I feel like I can face things like Excel. You're putting your hand on your head. I'm telling people this not because you're gonna I'm appreciate. you got Dad. the flu. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I had the numbers flu. I had the financial <laughs> statement flu. You're exactly right, and I need to be on a brat diet, and it's gonna make me puke at some point if I oh. do it too much. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you all this not because you'll appreciate it, Dad, because you will think it's stupid, but. For everybody who doesn't think it's stupid, for everybody like me, it's okay that it's hard. It's okay that it's hard. And still, it's worth doing. And I've gotten faster at it. That's the good news. It gets easier. And it it gets to be, once you start, like starting is still obviously incredibly hard. But once I start, then I start thinking about it, and then it gets easier. That's what I wanted to say. So now, Dad, let's no. talk
0: about 10%. let's talk about so Let before we dive into our our erstwhile fiat chrysler example which we're gonna go oh
1: yeah i wanted to, i wanted to finish what you were saying about the 10 percent yield because the reason you were talking about that i just wanted to get it clear for everybody is that the owner earnings calculation is used for the 10 cap pricing method right and the 10 cap pricing method depends on a 10 percent yield
0: right and so the reason we're doing these kinds of, of um, numbers instead of generally accepted accounting principles, which are used by the entire industry of Wall Street, is that what we want to yeah. do is we want to easily, keep... yeah, easily
1: googleable numbers. Yeah, easily
0: Googleable numbers. I much which prefer. Be, w- which can be <laughs> very cleverly manipulated by those guys on Wall no, Street. They're totally. so good at this. They've got the generally accepted accounting principles and they're going to use them to manipulate- the answer so that you get the wrong answer, right? Because their company's got trouble and they don't want you to know it. So let me give you a great example of that, Danielle. Sears Holdings is, as of today, rumored to be headed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Well,
1: and we are pre-recording this, so this will probably be down the line by the time this comes out.
0: Okay, so it might be down the line. It might have not happened yet. It might never happen. But what came out in the news today was that Sears is hiring a bankruptcy law firm um, and investment bank to go out and see about the possibility. And they're exploring uh, bankruptcy, chapter 11, chapter seven, nobody knows. Hmm. So when you think about it, and I'm reading on Seeking Alpha, which is one of our resources we really recommend you guys use. I go out and I write SHLD in Seeking Alpha uh, symbol box. Why do you write
1: SHLD?
0: Because that's the symbol for Sears. Shield. So, yeah, I don't know why Sears Holdings. <laughs> blah blah blah. I don't know what it stands for. Okay. So that'll get you to articles about Sears, and these are being written some in part by people who bought the stock at thirty dollars a share, oh, and no. who bought into this idea that you just buy and hold, and everything yeah. works out in the long run. Because it's it's what now? Ignore, what is it now? A couple dollars? Um, Fifty cents now, I think. Eighty cents. Fifty
1: cents. Crap.
0: Yeah. So all these people are just getting slaughtered who were, I honestly kind of willfully ignorant about the company that they owned, right? And they believed the CEO and they truly believed that Eddie Lampert, who's this really brilliant investor, was going to pull this thing through and he was going to end up making the money. And now Lampert's very likely to put it into bankruptcy and wipe out the shareholders completely. And they can't believe it. The writing on here is so desperate and so sad that they can't believe it. And if they'd only looked at owner earnings on Sears, they would have had such a different feeling about the company than anything management was saying. And they would just yeah. have seen it, okay? So I mean, just as an example, um, in 2017, the company has net earnings of minus 2 billion. Okay, So we're starting off with minus 2 billion. Um, then we put in depreciation of 375 million. That that basically leaves us still at minus 2 billion because they had really was 2.2 billion. So we're okay. We're at 1.8 maybe negative. Um, and then we have a little bit of change in receivables. Call it 1.7 uh, increase in payables, negative 500. So now we're at 2.2 uh, billion. And then they had very relatively small capex of 140 million, so we're at 2.3 billion and i'm pretty sure they're not paying taxes so we're we're at 2.3 billion negative negative a loss of 2.3 billion yeah negative means in terms of owner earnings is that somebody took two point something billion dollars out of their pocket and put it into this business and if I look down a little farther at the cash flow, down at what's called the financing activities of the company, uh, sure enough, they borrowed $2,099,000,000. <laughs> look at that. And that's um, how, they how did,
1: it. W- when is this? When, when are those that numbers? That was
0: 2017. Up? Okay. All right. And 2018, it gets better. It gets better. They only lost 400000000 against 300 million of depreciation. So they're only negative 100. They had $100 positive on accounts receivable. So now they're 200 positive. And then negative 500 on accounts payable. So another 300 negative. And 80 negative on maintenance cap So they're 400 negative, only 400 negative out of your pocket. And they borrowed 1.1 billion dollars. But they had to pay off 1.3 billion dollars or go bankrupt. So if you'd looked at this anytime in the last couple of years with the kind of education you're getting here at the invested podcast, you would have gone, ah, and yeah, you know, taking some action. I
1: mean, yeah, for sure. God, I just, yes. Number one, I have two points. One, yes, you're completely right. And we have to look at these numbers and you know, I eat kale several times a week and I do that because it's good for me. And that's what looking at these numbers is like. And I dump a lot of maple syrup and vinegar on that kale and it tastes pretty good. So <laughs> when it comes to the numbers, I crawl into bed and I have some teeth. My second point <laughs> is that I just can't stop thinking about these, the poor people who have ridden that stock all the way down. I okay. Mean,
0: let, um, let me make it even let me, here. Let me just make it worse. This thing started running negative owner earnings. I mean, I'm going all the way back. It looks like it's negative owner earnings all the way back as far as I've got numbers to 2009. And certainly just running a real quick look at it in 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18, they've been running negative owner earnings. What what are you doing but owning I mean, a company that that's taking money? That hasn't been a
1: surprise. That hasn't been a surprise to anybody. Like Sears has been doing very badly in front page news for many years. So this it's not one of those companies where you're sort of like, Oh, nobody told me. Like I think people know, but I think they thought it would turn around.
0: I think they know and they think they thought it would turn around and I think they're taking a certain liberty with understanding that earnings don't really mean that much. Right. It's like, oh, well, what do you just What do you mean earnings. by that?
1: Earnings don't really mean that. Well, we know
0: that earnings are sort of artificial, right? They're not real cash. They're just oh. a reflection of some generally accepted accounting principles. So if you were thinking that as a, as a relatively naive investor, that I don't really have to worry about earnings because I've got all this real estate or whatever it is that you're thinking, you have to look at the cash coming out of the business. If you realize, if I own this business 100%, I would be putting in $2 billion a year every year feeding the business. That is so not a rule one type investment. It's not a Buffett investment. It's not any kind of an investment that we would do.
1: Yes. And I think you just said the key thing. It's not a rule one investment. It's not a Buffett investment. It's not an investment that a long-term value investor would do because It's not—it's not got the cash flow that we that we look for that we want. But that's not to say that other people who do other kinds of—here you go, Dad—speculating.
0: There you go. Thank
1: you. Do and I think as you know, as somebody who's kind of like on the periphery of this investing world, it's hard to tell the difference. People talk about or they write about companies as though we all have the same goals, and we don't all have the same goals. Some people want to be part of a turnaround, and they only purchase risky turnaround companies that may or may not come out of it. And other people only want to hold it for a couple of weeks. And that's certainly not what I've been learning from you and from Buffett and from Munger. So it's it's having an awareness of what other people are doing and what their incentives are, I think, is incredibly important when looking at these extremely potentially risky companies.
0: Yeah, I agree. and. and- and that's why you know obviously I've been in the same basic mode of investing strategy for 30 years and I think you sort of have to pick the way you want to go right I mean you have to pick the kind of yeah. sport you want to play what what do you yeah. feel like you're pretty good at and for me and I, I don't I know you wouldn't ever know this but I'm kind of a contrarian and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it doesn't bother me I no. totally disagree. <laughs> Totally disagree ob- with your disagreement. Most
1: obvious joke ever.
0: And and what what that sort of means is I'm very comfortable walking my own way. I'm very comfortable with my own. As you sure you know, I'm comfortable when I make up my mind about something. I don't need a lot of outside support for that decision, right or wrong. You know, and in my life, obviously, I've made wrong decisions. We all do. But I, a, a person that invests the way I'm teaching you has to recognize that just because the the crowd says you're wrong doesn't mean you're wrong and just because the crowd says you're right doesn't mean you're right yeah that's a great point when you sort of start like that should be
1: written on a tea towel
0: (laughs) there we go there we go or on a t-shirt you could wear around because it's so fundamental to this kind of investing to be confident in your own decision but in order to do that at our level of sort of relative intelligence okay just like i I'm gonna grant that Warren Buffett is a genius, right? And other people that I follow are geniuses, Monash Prabhai, Guy Spear. I mean, these are really smart people and they're capable of exercising this kind of strategy at a very, very big fund, in a very big pile of money. And that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. But for us to do this at this level, the main thing we do is try to make sure we understand the business well enough and then get a gigantic margin of safety so that even if you found out you didn't understand it well enough if you just got it right that it's going to be bigger in 10 years you're going to come out fine and you're going to get rich and that's just because some of those are going to, some of those picks that you made are going to be fabulous they're going to be fabulous and i mean, warren has said over and over again you, you know you, you should act as if you're only going to get 20 companies in your entire life and if that's all you bought he, he he would be willing to speculate that four of them would turn out to be fabulous and make you rich
1: mm-hmm.
0: right so this 10 cap method of viewing the value of a business is very important and yet it's very kind of subjective so we've tried to turn something subjective into something objective with a formula that you can use in the book invested to come up with the owner earnings so we're going to do it this now is we're gonna dive into Fiat Chrysler a little bit and, well, try and this to is show you.
1: contrarian positions this company was quite a contrarian position when Monish Pabrai started buying it which is how many people start even found out about it kind of in this like value investing community. And I don't think he talked about it for quite a while, but then at some point he told people he had bought it. And we started speaking about it a number of episodes ago because he talked about it in an interview he did recently with Forbes.com. So he said, you know, he bought it. It was just coming up with tons of cash and yet people didn't seem to think that it was going to shoot up the way it did. But he believed in the management as well and uh, has held it for quite a few years. So his interview said he still hasn't and he still thinks it's good to go. Now that was before Sergio Marchionne passed away and things have changed a lot since then in Fiat Chrysler but we still wanna get into it here because um, it's also, it's kind of like a complicated company. I mean, I looked at it, as I said, (laughs) with my tea and the financial statements are, Little, they're they're more complicated than other companies I'll say that
0: well they are and and the company is you know comprised of a number of other companies so it's, right it's, it's a conglomerate kind of, yeah it's a kind of a conglomerate and that always makes things more difficult so if you're just getting started as an investor I wouldn't say starting with Fiat Chrysler would be a great place to start right no there, there's gonna be I other would companies. not in fact honestly at this point in this stock market, 10 years into the stock market moving up from a very low bottom, um, I can pretty much stipulate that there's almost nothing out there that's on sale that's easy. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. If you're just getting started, the most important thing you can do right now is stack up as much cash as you can get. Because I think your timing is going to be really excellent to make a lot of money here in the near, in the near future. But right now would be the time to wait, right? Like there's a time for everything, under yeah. heaven, right? and right now would be unless you really know what you're doing with a particular company, almost nothing is really on sale. They're, they're, anything that looks cheap is cheap for a reason at this point, because everybody's looking for something, everybody's looking for something that they can put money into. So man, um, we're, we're going to give you an example of one that's it's complex. I don't want to spend a lot of time in the complexities, though. Is that okay with you, Danielle? I'm that's just...
1: fine, but I wanted to say it because for people who listen and then go and try to see it for themselves, I just want them to know, like, this is a toughie. This is something that goes in my too hard box. Buffett has a box that he has on his desk that's literally titled too hard, and he supposedly puts companies in there who that are too hard. And... I just want everyone to know that it's totally fine to put companies in there and it's safe to put companies in there. And, and this one's in there for me.
0: It's not just safe. It's really smart. It's really.
1: But uh, let me also add really on necessary. that. Like this is why looking at the numbers is so valuable. I think I've said this a couple times now in the last few episodes, it tells me whether or not I know what I'm doing with this company, whether or not I understand this company. And that in itself is so helpful. Like, it's just so, it's yeah. just a good little check for me.
0: It's really, yeah. really good. Well, here's, here's some of the things about Fiat Chrysler that are fascinating, I think. Um, when we look at the whole picture, uh, Fiat Chrysler right now is selling for $16 a share. And Monash bought it at about four, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's selling for sixteen dollars a share, which gives it a, a total market cap right now. That, like, if you bought it in the market right now, the whole thing and the price didn't go up, you'd be buying it for twenty six billion dollars, Danielle. Okay. The whole 20...
1: entire company. If I went out and said, "I'm going to buy Fiat Chrysler today,"
0: yeah, nobody raised their price a penny. They all said, "Sure, here you go." Okay, sixteen dollars a share. So twenty six billion. billion. Right, twenty six billion. Now it was at sixteen dollars you know, several years ago and um and then they spun off Ferrari and they gave Ferrari stock to all the shareholders. And now Ferrari, which has got a symbol R A C E race, Ferrari all by itself is twenty-four billion dollars. Wow, geez. So what that means is that when Fiat Chrysler was at sixteen dollars before it spun off Ferrari, it was worth twice as much as that. And then it spun off Ferrari. Or the market is irrational. (laughs) Or the market's irrational and they just love Ferrari. That's entirely (laughs) possible. Now, I'm saying that because there's a bunch more stuff in the Fiat Chrysler portfolio besides just Ferrari. In this $26 billion you could buy right now, it includes Abarth, which is a parts manufacturer for cars. that's famous. Alfa Romeo cars. Uh, Chrysler, which is not wonderful. Dodge, which is getting better. Fiat, which is horrible. Jeep, which is fantastic. It's a worldwide major league brand. Maserati, which is fantastic and a worldwide major league brand. And Ram trucks, which have now, in my opinion, become the number one truck in America, the best truck you can buy for the bucks. I own two of them. So (laughs) if you look at what Ferrari was doing back before Fiat Chrysler got spun it off, I, I think you could take Maserati, Ram Trucks, Jeep, and you could spin off another $24 billion. Hmm. right? So, in other words, figuring out what this thing is worth is hard. Also, it's got subsidiaries like Magneti Morelli, which is a, another parts manufacturer. It's got Mopar, which is a super big brand in the racing world, dragsters, things like that. And it's Hmm. got TechSid, which it owns about 80% of. And all of that is just saying, here's all these little companies within this thing that are all maybe worth much, much more total spun off than $26 billion. But you'd have to figure all that out. That's hard. See what I'm saying? I do. So let's just take a look at it a different way. Um, let's take a look at it through owner earnings here and see what we think real quick.
1: We took way too long to get into this. So hold on. Let me just say quickly, I did a TEDx talk a couple of months ago. It just came out online. Check it out. It's all over my social media and my website. And dad, can we finish this up next week?
0: No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> we're going to finish Bye. this. I'm getting sick of owner earnings. So let's get it done. We'll wrap up Fiat Chrysler. We'll show you what we think and then we're out. Okay.
1: Okay. Cool. Thanks, everybody.
0: Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at InvestedPodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to InvestedPodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because... I am not your investment advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only and I hope you enjoyed it.